Hello and welcome to Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. With you as always, I'm Priscilla McKinney. I'm the CEO and Mama Bird here at Little Bird Marketing. And for those of you who know that I'm an influencer on LinkedIn, let me just pause and give you a good idea about how things happen. So my next guest came to me through a connection that I have on LinkedIn that I made at an actual conference show. And then that new friend on LinkedIn took a social influence class with me. And when she was on my ponderings from the perch, then she posted it on her LinkedIn post. And then lo and behold, my next guest uh, reached out and commented and we started a work relationship from there. And so this is how you get on podcasts, if you were just wondering. So Stephanie Cousins, thank you for introducing uh, me to this next guest, Mallory Erickson. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be great, but that just goes to show everybody. You I love never it. Know. You never know where that next <laughs> connection is coming from. And like people follow like people. And so mm-hmm. we immediately knew through our comments and what you're doing and my expertise that there was a match there. So let me tell you a little bit about Mallory. She is an executive coach, but I've asked her to come on today specifically about the fundraising consulting she does and how she really uses storytelling in order to weave into marketing plans and really helping people understand the difference between marketing and fundraising. And she really is leading nonprofit leaders to fundamentally change the way they lead and they fundraise. And so she has a signature framework, which you all know I love since I have my own signature framework. Hers is the Power Partners Formula. And these are unique tools that help nonprofits fundraise from foundations, corporate partners, and individuals. And she, get this, has trained over 40 thousand fundraisers in her time. And so this is really about collaboration. She and I connected on this idea of having a win-win framework, which is top of the list for me. So it's such a neat piece of executive coaching tied with science-backed behavioral design. So those might people that are listening to me that are market researchers, you're going to love the behavioral science aspects of what she talks about. So we're going to get started in a very interesting and different conversation than we typically have on this show, but it's always about pulling the curtain back and showing people what is going on on the other side. So let's start with the big, big question, Mallory, and then we'll kind of get a little bit more uh, focused, but it is so noisy out there. And so many organizations need to increase their fundraising at the same time that digital efforts are just increasing on a frightening level. So tell us from the outset, what's the big picture before we get really dialed in? What's the dilemma that these nonprofit agencies are sitting in? Yeah. I mean, I think like any business or any entity right now, breaking through the noise and the attention economy is absolutely bringing nonprofits to their knees, both in terms of how they keep up, I think, their own resilience around messaging when it feels like it's falling on deaf ears or wanting to even know, did people, I mean, they're looking at open and click-through rates, but really understanding, did people read the whole thing? Did they read the whole email? We know, I saw some statistic recently around our attention span moving from 12 seconds to eight seconds over the last, you know, however many years and the impact that has on how much copy can be digested. And so I think nonprofits are really thinking about, they want to share as much as they can about the work that they're doing. And I think sometimes they get 
a little bit of tunnel vision around how important every element of the mission is to them. And they have a really hard time translating that into bite-sized pieces that can really participate in an engaging way in the attention economy that we see there. So there's definitely a struggle out there. I think nonprofits feel have a lot of understandable feelings around their resistance to continuing to put out message after message. I just saw something recently about how people will complain sometimes at the end of the year about how many nonprofit messages they get for end of year fundraising, but they're not complaining that Crate and Barrel has sent them like their 35th email. (laughs) And so I think there's a lot of pressure on nonprofit communication and marketing and messaging, and they're held to a really different expectation that then makes it really complicated for them to continue to show up authentically, transparently, with a lot of enthusiasm, with their best stories, when it's so congested and they get a lot more backlash than other folks do. Oh, I okay. I'm going to unpack several things there. So you and I obviously love the idea of know your audience before you start writing. Otherwise, you <laughs> wouldn't be hitting on the idea of good storytelling. But let's back up a little bit. I've got a couple of questions for the end. But let's move back to what you said about authenticity and storytelling. So tell me about that idea from you said that they, they're struggling kind of getting a myopic view of what they mm-hmm. do and the importance of what they do. But how do they tell that story? the 18th time, (laughs) Mm. just as genuine, just as authentically, just as compellingly when they're telling it for the thousandth time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I think sometimes in nonprofit storytelling, people think about the stories being like one specific story of one specific beneficiary and one journey. And so the work that I do with nonprofits around storytelling is really helping them see how the storytelling arc of their organization and how sort of the resolution that their organization provides actually tells a number of different stories that then can be looked at through tons of different perspectives so that it's not about that, yes, they need to pick some sort of core pillar points that they continue to tap back into, but that they're not, that telling the same story is not, they're telling the same story about Jeff 18 different times and what happened with him in that organization. And I think that gets confused sometimes in the nonprofit sector. It might feel more basic for marketers outside of the sector, but I think inside nonprofits, they often think that means they're telling pieces of the same exact human story as opposed to the same journey and resolution and core conflict and problems, all those elements of storytelling. Right. That's interesting. Having been on many nonprofit boards, (laughs) I know that there was a big push really from the nineties of saying, tell someone's story, tell like, really, Mm. who is it? It's like, you get that really human aspect, but it's almost like gone too far. And what we need to be able to understand, but how is like that whole, there are a lot of people like that, Jeff. Right. Mm, And so you can tell me all about Jeff, but if I don't think that there are a lot of Jeffs out there who are in that same situation, then sometimes I can't really understand the magnitude of the problem. And so therefore the relevance of the agency. So you kind of like get almost too drilled down. So let's move on to that idea, which I think you kind of alluded to as well. So you mentioned that nonprofits are under the gun, (laughs) feeling the pressure. And so this idea of, especially when you're in, comes, there's urgency then. Well, that's when Mm -hmm. we do have urgency, but 
if they're a nonprofit, there is urgent need all the time. So let's Mm -hmm. talk about those two ideas. How do you help people frame that idea of relevance and the idea of urgency and how to deal with those properly? Mm. Well, first of all, I don't know, you know, I'd be curious what your experience has been being on a board, but when I was inside nonprofits for 13 years, fundraising and responsible for a lot of the marketing, I never heard about relevance. Nobody once ever told me that relevance creates urgency. And it wasn't until I left the nonprofit sector and was marketing for my business and learning about marketing more generally that actually that concept was taught to me. What we're taught often in nonprofits is create urgency, is sort of this fabricated urgency around things like the end of the year, which we have some historical reasons for caring about the end of the year, tax benefits and tax write-offs. But we've then created this like pretty superficial urgency that for most people doesn't really matter. And it's not very relevant, but nonprofits think that, oh, it's the end of the year. That's when people like to give. And so they don't make an additional case around why they need funding right then. Because I think what you're asking is like, yes, they need money all year round. There's nothing about, for most organizations, there's nothing about December that makes that need particularly higher. Now, they could highlight it differently during December. They could create a campaign or initiative, particularly around that, something like matching donations. That creates an urgency, a time box moment around something significant that can motivate behavior. But then my recommendation is that that every organization is really selecting for them to design campaigns around times of year or elements of their program that are particularly relevant to their organization. So if you have an education program, your back to school campaign is much more relevant than December 31st. If you are supporting single mothers with postpartum needs, Mother's Day is a real relevant time to build a campaign around. And so I think having folks take that step back and say, what really matters to us? Let's get out of the sort of fundraising calendar, because the reality is we say, oh, our donors like to give on December, you know, in December. And I'm always like, do you know that? You ask in December. They follow your prompt in December. But if you were to prompt them that many times in a much more relevant way at a different time of year, I really believe they would see as much support, if not more. I love that. And that is a really clarifying point about the question why, which Mm -hmm. obviously is important, and why now? Mm -hmm. And that's a very interesting idea when you're sitting down to write copy, like to get clear (laughs) and joke around with people all the time, get your persona development work out, put it in front of you. So you're really saying, who am I writing to, but why am I writing to you? And how is that relevant to you? Not to me. I know why I'm sitting down to write because it's my job, Mm. but why would you want to hear this? And why would you want to hear this now? Very interesting and different. And, you know, something that you're saying that's so important is that if that relevance doesn't feel true to you in the moment sitting down to write that copy, you're not going to write compelling copy. If you can't even answer for yourself, why are you sending this fourth email right now? Why is it particularly important right now? And it just feels like, well, because like someone told me I should send five emails in December. That is not (laughs) going to be the email that you're, that's going to break through the noise. Right. Oh my gosh. I love that. Okay. So help me out a little bit when a new client or prospective client comes to you, what are they saying? What are the pains that they are having Mm. that you go, oh, 
this is like, I can help you. This is what's going like, this is, please know that you're not alone. I've heard this all the time. What is it that you Mm. Mallory hear all the time? Well, I deal a lot with fundraiser discomfort and resistance. So I would say that the fundraisers that come to me are like feeling blocked around taking a certain action, whether that is really launching a storytelling campaign and getting their staff on board to tell their stories, or it's making uh, doing outreach for corporate sponsorship or major donor support. I think one of the things we, in the nonprofit sector, a lot of attention is given towards designing for donor behavior. And for the behavioral scientists listening, I studied under Dr. BJ Fogg and have done a lot of work on habit and behavior design. And his work has really made it clear to me, you know, we know that in order for anyone to take an action, it's a relationship of motivation, ability, and a prompt. And the prompt, I mean, the fundraiser is really creating motivation for the donor. They're asking in a way that leverages that donor's ability. That would be like segmentation. And they're prompting the donor to take action. People are not giving in a vacuum. They're giving as a response behavior to what the fundraiser does. And so I would say the core of my work is helping fundraisers prompt donors more effectively and consistently in alignment with their best, most authentic version of themselves and their organization. So you bring that up about behavioral science and how it can help us understand (laughs) these humans that we need to give and participate in order for the nonprofit to keep being successful. But one of the things that I think of in marketing in general, and as soon as behavioral science comes in, is this idea that what is really happening for the human? What's emerging? What are the Mm. feelings, emotions? This is the basis, the very basics of behavioral science, right? Mm. And so I feel that push-pull between Hey, get the money in. It's a transaction. Get that, like, mm. count it up, put the thermometer, fill the thermometer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we know we just got to get it done, dialing for dollars mm. and, and make it happen. But yet, fundraisers are being asked to build relationships and mm. make a difference. And all of these more maybe altruistic or maybe intangible or esoteric or however we want to look at it, these mm. other things. But on the other hand, well, what's the dollar amount? How much came in for this for mm. this campaign? So when you do come at it with an appreciation for behavioral science and the humans that are all involved in it, what is that next thought that you're thinking of about the discomfort from both sides? Yeah. Well, you know, I think when fundraising is done right, it can be both. I think it can involve the movement of money and it can involve a deep relationship and it can involve Look, I think fundraising at its best is us aligning our core identity and deep desires with the identity and mission and desires of the organization. I think it's a human coming together with a nonprofit and saying, we both want to see this change being possible, and we have different skills and assets to do that. I have some money. You have the skills to create change in the community. How do we come together and do that? And so I think we have often siloed this inside the nonprofit sector, the the money, the transactional moment from the deep relationship. But 
but I actually think when it's done right, it's the same thing. It's I see you. I see what you want our community to look like. I want it to look like that too. So how do we work together in order to do X, Y, and Z? And I think one of the things we know, you know, serotonin is released when people donate, but serotonin doesn't cement memory in the way that we need it to. And so most people can't tell you when they gave, how much they gave, who they gave to. And so it's up to nonprofits to create then dopamine experiences, memory solidifying experiences with these donors. And that's possible. And it feels great for everyone. But I do think it requires us to get out of some of the limiting beliefs and some of the old school mindset that we've had around fundraising. Oh, I love that. And so does your work then include, I can just kind of see it happening in a room, (laughs) bringing all those people, you've got the graphic designer here, you've got the copywriter, you've got the the executive, they got all these people that that create a different piece of the puzzle. So bringing them together to understand maybe that larger initiative, what does that sound like? Yeah. So there's this term that we hear a lot in the nonprofit sector, culture of philanthropy. And I always talk about before you build a culture of philanthropy with your donors, you need to build a culture of fundraising inside your organization. And the very first step of that is that fundraising is not a bad word. And I hear, I see a lot from marketing professionals inside nonprofits or some of the different um, groups of folks that you were just mentioning, they'll, when they get into contact with me or they're included in that room, their first thing is, okay, but like, I'm not a fundraiser. Okay. Like I do the graphic design, but I'm, but I'm not a fundraiser. And I really have a moment at the very beginning of working with teams like this and lay the groundwork for what does it look like to talk about fundraising as a beautiful movement of money towards our core values and that we have to catch ourselves and know that it's not our fault that we use all that language and have all those stigmas that that's really been come down from the the society where we live in the history of the nonprofit sector, but we have to change the way that we talk about these things in order to change the way that we feel about them. And then how we work together as a team to design a really beautiful campaign. I posted recently on Instagram, the power partners mantra is great. Fundraising is not an ask. It's an offer. And that it's really about vulnerability and connection and community and opportunity. And if we start to use that language, I'd love to give you this opportunity instead of asking I'd love to ask you for something, which we know people are uncomfortable doing, particularly women identifying people. How much does that shift the way that we feel about what this thing is? And so that's a big piece of sort of how I build that room. Oh my gosh, I could not agree with you more about this. So I'm going to tell you a little personal story. So I want to hear. <laughs> okay. I grew up on the mission field. So my parents are missionaries and we would offer for people to be involved in the financial support of our family <laughs> nonstop. <laughs> right. And you can get a mentality of, Oh, poor me. And this kind of idea of a very strange view of charity, like that, the people receiving mm-hmm. the charity, even in the case with a nonprofit, whether let's say you're working with homeless people or children with autism or whatever, like, that these recipients in some way, these are the, like to be pitied. Right. Mm. And it's always like, Oh, the poor missionaries. And I came from like that. Of course we didn't have money. Of course. I mean, that was just assumed, right. (laughs) But I also didn't want your used underwear. Right. So this Mm. idea that I'm going to offer to you 
who believes in this particular cause. And this isn't about religion. So let's just say that ours happen to be religion, right? So somebody believes strongly in that cause and wants their life to mean something. And so that is important to them. So for the people who, what my parents and my sisters and I were doing, that is an opportunity to not give up your job, not move your five kids to another country, not have to pay for international schooling, not have to do without peanut butter, whatever it is, you can, from the comfort of your home, support Mm. this endeavor. We will offer ourselves uh, to you so that you can be involved on this. And for me, interestingly enough, I grew up with that mindset. Like, listen, you're not willing to come out here and live this and do this, but I could like, you could live vicariously through us. You could support us. Mm. And so there you would be doing it with us. (laughs) So I grew up with this very abundant mentality that is not like, oh, now I feel like I'm a victim and I'm this poor girl (laughs) kind of thing. And I obviously loved my life and I I loved growing up in Europe and yes, I did miss peanut butter. (laughs) But, (laughs) But besides that, it is an interesting shift. And I think that if you write to somebody from the sense of, we think this is an impoverished existence asking Mm. you for for something, then that comes out in the copy. Whereas if you feel like I am offering you something and I am gifting you something, even as you are gifting me, that comes out in the copy as well. So I just firmly believe it. I've lived 100%. (laughs) You can feel guilt in copy. You can feel discomfort in copy. You can. And so you have to address the beliefs that you hold because they are getting in the way of your marketing and your fundraising if they are not aligned with what you're ultimately trying to do. Right. And, you know, it can also get in the way unconsciously. (laughs) Totally. You have all these people that you're in a room with. They all, let's just say it's very possible that they're being paid less. I'm not saying that's Yes, it's probably happening. It is probably happening that they are getting Mm -hmm. paid less to do something that is far more in alignment with their passion. And I I hope to God that would change, but it, it is what it is, right? And so they, of course, feel very much like they are behind this project. And yet they, if they're not completely aware, I could see where that those kinds of social Mm. understandings can get in, in nooks and crannies and really affect that culture in the office. 100%. And just to totally normalize that for 13 years, that was me. And it really, I ended up going through executive coach certification, which had nothing to do with my fundraising or nonprofit leadership at the time. But once I learned those tools and I started to bring awareness into, okay, here's this thing that's been on my to-do list for three weeks that I haven't done. And <laughs> so why am I not doing it? Why am I really not doing it? And I started to get honest with myself about the resistance that I was feeling and why, and the beliefs that sat under there, that's what really broke open everything for me and sort of accidentally led me to the work that I do today. And so just to say like a hundred percent, it is unconscious. It's not the fault of the marketer, the fundraiser, anyone inside the organization. And the amazing thing about it is that we have the opportunity once we become aware to shift. Mindset shift. I love it. Now that's what we're going to end on for (laughs) sure. So this is the amazing work that you do. I love the intersection of fundraising and marketing, but 
just to thank you for just this great conversation and, and giving your expertise away for free. These are really great topics to think of. Look at your authenticity, look at your storytelling capabilities, understand the relevance and understand how that's connected to urgency. And I love that what you said that relevance actually creates urgency. So I think that's like a real takeaway for some people struggling with their marketing and as it relates to fundraising. But I'm telling you, even outside of fundraising, that is totally true as well. That's just is so true in marketing. Find out how it is relevant to the other person, whatever piece of copy that you have, and that will create the urgency a hundred percent. So, but just as a thank you, Mallory, (laughs) for giving us that expertise, how can people find you and who are you looking for? Who would you love to help? Yeah. Anyone who is trying to raise money for something they believe in and resonated with this and is like, oh man, I think she might be talking about me when she said that. You can find me over at MalloryErickson.com. And you can also find me over at whatthefundraisingcommunity.com. My podcast is called What the Fundraising. And so if you're interested in learning from a lot of other scientists or nonprofit professionals about the intersection of these different topics and how we're thinking differently about building win-win partnerships, those are the best places to find me. And then, as you said before, my signature course is the Power Partners Formula, but you can find all of that information on my website. Awesome. We will include that in the show notes. Mallory, thank you so much for joining us. What a breath of fresh air. I loved everything you had to say. And I, at least I got to tell one interesting story. I did not talk about my background in puppetry, but that's okay. We'll save that for another We'll do that on my podcast. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. From all of the peeps here at Little Bird Marketing, have a great day and happy marketing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.